Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business. You'll find the show notes for today's episode at bloggingbistro.com. Well, I'm thrilled to welcome today a guest onto the podcast. His name is Tim Fall. Welcome, Tim. Thanks for inviting me along, Laura. I appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. I'm glad to have you here. I was thinking back to two or three years ago when we first met. We were at the West Coast Christian Writers Conference, and it was at the very conclusion of the conference. Everybody was completely wiped out and tired, and a bunch of us went out to dinner together. And I distinctly recall sitting down at the end of this long table that had 20 or 25 people at it. And you and me and Jane Daly were down at the end of the table. And that's when we really first met and were able to have a fun conversation with one another. Do you remember doing that, Tim? I do. I do. I remember um, that I crashed that party because it was supposed to be the board members and a couple of other VIPs and uh, the, uh, director, uh, Susie Flory said, uh, just come on along. And that's how I got to meet everybody. Well, I'm so glad you did. And you know what, you're a VIP in our book. And since that dinner time that you you crashed our dinner, you've been speaking at the conference. A couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. I I did a uh, breakout session uh, one year and a short talk uh, for one of the large group sessions. Um, short enough to where uh, if you wanted to uh, take a little nap through it, that would have been fine. (laughs) And we don't do that at writers' conferences. We don't take naps during sessions, or at least we don't let on that that's what we might be doing. (laughs) You know, I'm just resting my eyelids. (laughs) Yes. Well, Tim, before we uh, got on the call here today, I took a look at your bio online, just to kind of do a little cyber snooping on you. And I noticed something very interesting. The bio on your blog and the bio in your press kit look very different. And so I want to read what I discovered, the difference between the blog bio and the press kit bio, just to kind of give our listeners an idea of really the fact that it is a good thing to have two different bios, one that is the more informal conversational tone, and one that is the more formal kind of resume style bio, which is the one that's in your media kit. Here's a couple of things that I learned about you from the bio that is on your blog, is that you are a California native who changed your major three times. Okay, I have to ask you about that. And you switched colleges four times and took six years to get a bachelor's degree in a subject that you've never been called on to use professionally. All right, let's just stop right there. So uh, what were your three majors that you had when you were a college student? Uh, I thought I was going to be a uh, forestry major at one point, and then a history major at another. And I ended up getting a degree in environmental studies. You ended up getting your bachelor's in environmental studies, but you've never been, you've never used that bachelor's professionally, correct? Uh, Correct. Uh, Although I guess if you say that I have uh, had some cases that involve uh, maybe uh, environmental impact reports, then that is a a stretch (laughs) to say that I put my bachelor's degree to use somehow. 
Now, you said the word cases, and I'm sure that some people listening have no idea what you're talking about there. But what it says in your other bio, in your media kit, is that you're a superior court judge in Northern California. So you, when you say cases, you're referring to cases that you have served as a judge on? Right. Back to the blog bio again. You've been married for 30 years. You have two kids who have both graduated from high school or college or both? Uh, college now. Okay. And your family is constant evidence of God's abundant blessings in your life. And you and your wife live in Northern California. So that's wonderful. Now, in your other bio, the one that's in your media kit, you say that you're a superior court judge. You teach judicial ethics to experienced judges throughout the state. You have published a short story called The Old Cowboy and a Horse Called Magic by Ravel, which was in their anthology, The Horse of My Dreams. You have a short ebook that explores the grief of your father's passing called On Not Missing My Father, The Relief of a Parent's Death. And that's at your website, timfall.com. And then most recently, and this isn't in your press kit, but the whole press kit is about your book that recently was published in February of 2020, which is titled Running for Judge, Campaigning on the Trail of Despair, Deliverance, and Overwhelming Success. Wow. There you have it. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Tim's life in a nutshell. We got the the fun version and the professional version. You know that. Which one do you like better? I, I like the first one. I actually use that when I'm speaking to uh, judicial education groups uh, because they don't care about the rest of it. So I just give them the first part. And if I'm teaching uh, judicial ethics, I tell them how long I've been doing that. But other than that, uh, you know, I just uh, try to tell them a little bit about where I really came from. So that's where the uh, three different majors and four different colleges and that sort of thing goes in there. I like that. It's a kind of a quirky thing and it, it just instantly connects with people. Now, your other bio, your media kit bio, were you instructed by someone to make that one sound a little bit different than the one on your blog? Or did you just feel like it needed to be done that way? I just took a stab at it, and that's what came out. The part about you being a superior court judge piques my interest right away if I didn't know that about you. In fact, Tim, I have to tell you, I told my husband, yeah, I'm I'm going to be interviewing somebody for my podcast today. And he said, oh, who is it? And I said, oh, it's my, my new friend, Tim Fall. And he's like, who's that? And so I told him a little bit about you. And I mentioned that you were a judge in Northern California. And he went, a judge? Really? And it was an interesting reaction that he had because that title alone instantly lends you credibility. If my book were not about the judiciary, I wouldn't have bothered to put that in there. It's only something uh, that I would refer to if it pertained to what I was talking about. With uh, my short story that came out last year, The Old Cowboy and a Horse Called Magic, um, I wouldn't bother putting anywhere what my profession is. It has nothing to do with the story, and I'm not going to try to trade upon being a judge in order to get somebody to read a story about a cowboy. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that just doesn't click. But my book is about the judiciary. So what makes me qualified to speak about the judiciary is the fact that I've been in this profession for 25 years. So that's a great tip for our listeners, Tim, is when writing your bio, think, think about the things that you will and won't include. A lot of authors make the mistake of thinking that they have to start from birth and go through their entire life story in their bio. And that's not necessarily true. But you pick out a few 
important elements that are related to the topic of the piece that you're writing about. So let's talk a little bit about your book, Running for Judge, Campaigning on the Trail of Despair, Deliverance, and Overwhelming Success, because you don't often hear about elected officials who are battling mental illness. The uh, the book centers on uh, the year 2008, in fact, just about this time uh, in 2008, from January through June 3rd, which was election day that year. I'd been a judge for 13 years. Uh, nobody had ever challenged me for re-election uh, until I came to my third election cycle, and then somebody did. And I found that it was an overwhelming experience to have someone want to take my job away from me. Judges are elected officials in California, but it's still viewed as a career. Uh, you want people to be judges for a long time and to, to do well at it and learn more and more as they go along. Uh, unlike other positions, a school board member or a state assembly, those aren't viewed as career elected positions, but judges are. So part of it was I was thinking somebody wants my job and they want to take it away from me. Um, so, and I was not a political person uh, before getting on the bench. So running for office is not really something that I knew much about. So that's where the overwhelming aspect came in. And I found that it started affecting me physically and uh, mentally. And when I say mentally, I don't mean just how my mind was working or thought processes. I mean, my brain chemistry and my body chemistry uh, were all uh, being affected by this. So I wrote a, a book about it, but I had to wait about 10 years before I felt like I had enough perspective to do justice to the memoir. Uh, no pun intended about the word justice, sorry. Um, and so I then started thinking I should write about this uh, because I ended up getting a mental health diagnosis during that campaign. I uh, was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder with depressive episodes. And I went on medication for it and I had medical care for it. Um, and you don't hear very often elected officials uh, talking about mental health as something they personally deal with. On rare occasion, it'll come up as being something a family member is dealing with, but certainly not themselves uh, because there's so much stigma attached to it, uh, which is why I wrote the book. So if people read the book, they're going to learn a lot about uh, what it's like to be a judge. Uh, mm -hmm. They'll learn about uh, how you become a judge and at least in California, what it's like to face a judicial election. Uh, they'll hear a lot about um, anxiety and stress. And as I put in the forward uh, to the book, the impetus for this is to encourage people. You don't have to say, well, if you have a mental health diagnosis, then you are less than, or you are unable to carry out responsibilities. I, I am living proof that you can carry out your responsibilities, you can thrive, and uh, that the uh, Mental health issues need to just be dealt with as health issues are always dealt with. Um, you mm -hmm. know, if a judge has a heart attack, you don't say, well, off the bench for you. Uh, you just say, uh, hey, you need to get better and get back uh, into it. And you do. So that's how I uh, came at the book was to give people a better understanding of what it means. Another thing I point out in the book is that there are a lot of people in everyone's lives who are dealing with mental health issues. If we take mm -hmm. just anxiety and depression alone, the uh, numbers are one in four. Uh, one in four people in America will deal with anxiety or depression or both, which means everybody in America knows somebody who's dealing with it if they aren't themselves. Uh, this book will help people to understand that and what uh, it takes to uh, get through life uh, with uh, good help, good medical care. What a timely topic, Tim. 
particularly since we're recording this during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, I am just seeing on social media in general and in the news and pretty much everywhere I look that the anxiety level seems to be vastly heightened right now. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, the um, stress levels of dealing with this, even if you're healthy and your family's healthy, the stress levels of just living in a country that is facing this pandemic uh, is taking its toll on people. Uh, There's such a thing as quarantine uh, fatigue. When you're in a situation like this where we're being told to distance ourselves from people, you know, we're not necessarily being put in quarantine, but they've studied this over the decades that people who are actually placed in quarantine can be fatigued to such an extent that they stop thinking about how they need to get healthy themselves and keep other people from being sick. They just start thinking about what they can do to return to normal life. And they will take steps to do that that are not healthy steps to take. And I think that's what a lot of people are facing now is we have this pandemic fatigue. Uh, You're ready to take uh, steps to return to normal, even if that's not the best choice for you or the people around you. Uh, You're just going to do it anyway. And you, as someone who has experienced anxiety, do you have any suggestions for people who may be experiencing really high levels of anxiety and bouts of depression right now? Yeah, I've talked about that a bit in the videos that I've been posting uh, daily, where uh, I talk about the anxiety or stress and overwhelming feelings of people who are going through this. Um, And the first thing is that it's completely normal. Don't feel like uh, there's something abnormal going on when you start feeling that way. Uh, Another is uh, if it is starting to interfere with living life, uh, it's time to talk to your doctor. And there's absolutely no problem with that. Your doctor expects these phone calls from lots of patients uh, that they have right now uh, and go in and and have that appointment. Uh, It may be that there are some changes uh, to make diet, uh, lifestyle, there may be medication to uh, take. Um, that will help with it. There's nothing wrong with any of those. You know, when when we deal with cardiac health, uh, let's say you have high cholesterol, uh, you go on medicine for it and you might change your diet and you might start exercising more and all of these things come together. So if your brain chemistry is off, if uh, the serotonin surges are not working the way they're supposed to from one nerve to the next, then your doctor might talk to you about diet and exercise and medication. And if you'll do it for your heart health, then do it for your brain health. Yes. Mental, physical, spiritual health. Anytime we have uh, things that seem to be going a little haywire with any of those types of our health, it's important, I believe, that we seek help and we find uh, strategies for how we can effectively uh, deal with those things and live a more healthy life. So thanks for sharing that so much, Tim. Now, you mentioned that you have been posting some videos. And I took a look at your blog and I noticed that starting on March 20th of 2020, that you've been posting a short daily video on your blog. And you've also been putting that on uh, Twitter, right? Right. Twitter and Facebook. And and YouTube. So walk us through how you do that, because this is something different. Before March 20th, you were doing more kind of, of the standard weekly posting on your blog, the text-based. Right. But you've started doing these two-minute videos. And I watched some of them, and your voice is so calming. I started doing the videos uh, because I found that I could not write. And as many writing ideas as I've had over the last two and a half months, um, I have not acted on any of those as far as writing goes. But I take these ideas, 
and I try to talk about them instead. And uh, the videos are unscripted. I just talk. And sometimes I get it in one take and sometimes I get it in five or six. I talk uh, for two minutes and 20 seconds or less because Twitter won't allow you to upload a video longer than two minutes, 20 seconds. Now, this is a great discipline that Twitter has put on me. Get it said, get it said quickly, shut up and post. Um, and that's how I, I'm doing these now. Some of the ones I do are fairly lighthearted. Uh, some are uh, specifically about uh, dealing with difficulties in the pandemic. Some are just observations about what it's like to be going through a time that is a bit different <laughs> than what we're used to. Uh, sometimes it's just a reminder that uh, wh whatever we're going through, that God is with us through all of it. And so that's why I'm doing these. A lot of people say they are encouraged by them. And it's not like I'm getting tens of thousands of views. I'm getting a couple of hundred and that's fine. Mm -hmm. I think the most viewed one I did was about 1200. And that was probably the first one I did. And now I have some that uh, only get a tenth of that. I like that the two minute and 20 second thing. It's kind of like Twitter has their 280 character limit on tweets. And they've also put a limit on videos that you can upload. So listeners, if you're planning on doing a short video for Twitter, follow Tim's advice, two minutes and 20 seconds max. And that includes it being edited. Yours are unscripted. Are they unedited as well? Yeah, I don't edit. Just, I, I do it on okay. my phone. And if I can get it done in a couple of minutes, then that's it. Let's talk about the technical aspects of this for just a second so that we can walk the listeners through, if they're interested in trying something similar, what you do. So is this a YouTube live or is it a, a, a pre-recorded and you then upload it to YouTube? I, I use my phone's video recording. I record something for a couple of minutes. Uh, it's saved on my phone. I can upload to Twitter directly. And so I do. And then I also upload to YouTube. And then it's the YouTube link that goes on to um, Facebook and my blog. So you're not uploading directly to Facebook. Correct. So. Okay. Right. Um, I think it's easier for people uh, to click on a, a YouTube on Facebook. It comes up right there on the Facebook window anyway. That works pretty well. And, I, and I, if people subscribe to my blog, uh, they'll get a notice that there's a new posting and they'll see my video there too. I will say in terms of Facebook reach, this is something that I've done a lot of research into and a link post typically gets less distribution in the newsfeed than a video that is uploaded directly to Facebook. Oh, no, but I'm going to have to are, how I do this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if people are clicking on yours, then that's what you want them to do. But right now, and things can change because they always do with Facebook, right now, the news they're giving their algorithm is giving the most oomph to Facebook Live, followed by videos that have been pre-recorded like yours and then are uploaded to a person's Facebook page mm -hmm. or personal profile. And then third would be photo posts. And fourth is links. So what you're doing is actually kind of fourth down the line in terms of the type of reach that you might expect that type of post to get is because you're linking to a YouTube video. And the reason for that is Facebook wants people to stay on Facebook, right? They don't want people going to one of their competitors, YouTube, to watch videos. So that's just a little trick that I've learned 
you might want to give that a try, Tim, and see if it increases your views at all. I'll give it a shot. And you are very, very active on Facebook and Twitter. I'm not a Twitter user, but I follow your posts on Facebook very closely. Your posts are always thoughtful and they're thought-provoking. And it seems as if you aren't too afraid to push people's buttons in those posts. So tell us about the types of things that you typically post on Facebook and Twitter and why you're choosing to write about those particular topics. Um, I spend a lot of time talking about topics that uh, pertain to fairness, sexism, and racism, uh, even though I won't necessarily um, use those phrases or words, and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't, but I'm still talking about uh, things like women in the church and uh, them being able to carry out the functions that God has uh, given them. Um, I'm a full-on egalitarian and uh, am uh, un unrepentant and unashamed about it because I uh, people sometimes ask, well, how do you uh, square that with scripture. And I say, I'm egalitarian because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's where I am. Um, and I talk about racism and, you know, if people's buttons get pushed by the idea that I am saying that white privilege actually does exist, uh, and that it's a problem in America, uh, then, okay, I guess that's what they're thinking, but I am not going to, uh, apologize for speaking out. You know, one of the things about being a judge is we actually have ethical canons that are uh, part of California state regulations. They are law that judges have to follow. And the uh, idea of fairness permeates uh, those canons, uh, our ethical regulations. I have to be a, a fair person, uh, not only on the bench and around the courthouse, but in my, what you would maybe think of as private life, because I am never not a judge. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, whether I'm at home, uh, at the courthouse, in California, in another state, in another country, I am a California state judge the entire time. And so fairness is something that I need to uh, promote and uh, carry out always. Uh, it is a legal duty I'm under, not just uh, a moral duty. We hope that people would follow it as a moral duty but it's also legally required. So I talk about these types of things a lot. And often in the context of uh, courtrooms and uh, the judiciary. Now here I'm going back to the topic of, I'm kind of switching gears on you a little bit, Tim, going to the topic of developing your author platform. Because what we hear a lot in the publishing industry is that when we're developing our platform, uh, that is getting people in our tribe who are going to be eager to buy our books when they come out, that we blog and tweet and write Facebook posts about similar topics as people will find in our book. You don't appear to do that too much. Did you make a conscious decision to do things a little bit differently on your social media accounts than what you're doing in your books? Oh, I started uh, blogging almost 10 years ago and didn't even think about how uh, that would pertain to publishing. It's not a matter of, did I want to publish and I'm doing using social media to fit into that. It's I'm on social media and uh, if my publishing fits into that, then fine, it does. And mm -hmm. if it doesn't, then it doesn't. For me to conform social media to the books I want to write uh, would mean that I would uh, stop my social media and then start over from scratch. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just don't care about it. And that's partly because, uh, as you know, the idea of platform is not what has driven my social media presence, but rather the idea of community. I am connected with people online for purposes of community, not uh, for purposes of um, building up a, a platform. I remember um, at one of the West Coast Christian Writers Conferences, uh, one where I was speaking in a breakout session on blogging, and one of the participants in the classroom was um, asking a question, and she prefaced it with uh, pointing out that she had a book she was writing, a biography. Uh, she was a pretty good expert on the subject, and that her editor had told her uh, that she needed to have a social media presence, and what she needed to do was have at least 100 blog posts that pertained to the topic of her book. That's fine. She wanted to, she had a book she wanted to write, and she went on social media in order to do nothing but focus on that subject. That's just not me. She had an editor who said, go get a platform online. Okay. But it, I wasn't going to get anywhere uh, trying to do that for myself. You are a rebel, Tim. Yes. <laughs> yes. But the key here that I hear you saying is you are developing a community. Right. And that is so important. That's what social media is all about. Because you think about it, friends, when you log into your Facebook profile and you check out your news feed, you're not going there to see if you can find Tim Fall and what book he's written most recently and buy it. You're going there to connect with Tim, to find out what interesting or thought-provoking or controversial thing Tim is posting about today. That's the true meaning of social media is the community, the relationships. And so even though you aren't directly building in terms of selling your book, you are definitely building a community with your social media activities. Right. And I would much rather pursue that community uh, than uh, try to figure out a way to increase my book sales by 10% uh, through Mm -hmm. whatever is happening online. Do you have any more books in the hopper, Tim? I'm working on one right now. It is a collection of short stories. They are uh, related to events in the Bible, but they're stories that are told from the standpoint of observers, uh, or if it's the people who are part of the the Bible scene, uh, it may be conversations they had uh, around the moments that we actually see recorded in the Bible. So I've written a few of them, and you would see a story Uh, say, about Hannah, who dedicated Samuel to the Lord's work uh, in their tabernacle. And the story is written uh, as told by her cousin uh, and his wife, who observe what's going on uh, with Hannah. And then Hannah and Eli, the priest, uh, of course, are part of the story as well. But um, they're not the ones who are the central narrators in that story. So, uh, there's that one. Uh, I wrote a story about the delegation that King Josiah sent to inquire of Holda, the prophet. Uh, when the book of the law was found at the temple, uh, they went to her to find out <laughs> what all of this meant. Well, the delegation had uh, some people in it. And so I wrote the conversation they had on the way to see her and then on the way back from visiting her. There's another one that is about the Magi. And, uh, you know, they left Bethlehem and went home. But what conversation did they have with their king when they returned? Well, I wrote that mm. uh, scene. I like it. And so, uh, and then it'll have uh, scripture references and it'll have questions. It would be suitable for a uh, 
uh, a book group, perhaps, or personal study. And I'm hoping to have someone pick it up. Uh, it's going to be 30 stories. If I follow my plan, I've written about 15 of them so far. That sounds great. It sounds really interesting, Tim. And, and the thing that is coming out to me over and over throughout our conversation today is that your faith is a very prominent aspect of your life. Can you just talk about that for a minute or two? I've been uh, a Christian since uh, I was in my uh, early 20s. I was actually studying in England. I talk about it in the book, uh, Studying in England. I don't necessarily talk about my uh, salvation story. But I was over there. I was studying. I became a Christian. uh, came back. And so it's been a long time now. Uh, One of the things I found in the book, or that I talk about in the book, is I found that because I had been a Christian for uh, a long time by the time I had this election challenge come up and the anxiety and stress and everything going on, that uh, it wasn't a faith crisis, uh, wondering, you know, is God real? But it was more a matter of a, a faith reliance that I knew that I had to rely more and more uh, on God. And that's one of the things I encourage people with my writing, uh, my blog posts, and then the uh, videos I'm doing now is I try to point people back to the fact that uh, Jesus loves them and that uh, whatever they're going through, they do not have to go through alone. We are told in uh, the Bible that the Holy Spirit is actually in and with uh, God's people, each individual person, all the time, constantly, without any break in any moment at all. And I try to remind people of that uh, through the things that I write and that I say. That's what you'll find a lot in my tweets and Facebook posts as well. Thank you so much for sharing that. If uh, listeners would like to connect with you online, where would you recommend that they find you? Well, there's timfall.com, uh, the blog, and it has a contact page, which has all of the connections. Uh, and also for your listeners, uh, if they go to my publisher's website for the Running for Judge book, uh, the publisher is WIPF, W-I-P-F, WIPF and Stock, S-T-O-C-K. Uh, and then they find my book, Running for Judge. Uh, they can actually uh, get it regularly at a 20% discount just by ordering from there. But if they use this in the uh, checkout, it drops to a 40% discount. So use Judge 40, J-U-D-G-E-4-0. Okay. Judge because it's running for judge and 40 because it's a 40% discount, I guess. But that's the code, Judge 40, uh, at uh, checkout, and it'll actually be 40% off of the list price. Excellent. I will put a link in the show notes at bloggingbistro.com to Tim's website and also to his publisher's website. And then we'll put the code judge40 in there too, so that when people purchase your book, they get that 40% discount. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, Tim, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate so much that you wanted to uh, spend some time together. This has been great. Oh, yeah. Anytime, Tim. And listeners, if you are enjoying the show, I invite you to share it with a friend. You can also subscribe from your favorite podcast listening app or just go over to bloggingbistro.com, subscribe there, and you'll get an email notification from me about each new episode. Thank you so much again for joining us, friends, and we will talk with you again next week.